Hey y'all, it's Bowen here, and this is part of a series of conversations that I'm putting out on my Substack, which is called Decide Nothing. I love having the opportunity to work on the topics that I write about with other people, and so here you'll find us exploring subjects such as what it's like to be a man, how we become who we are, how to connect with intuition and the subconscious, relationships, love, sexuality, passion, purpose, addiction, and depression, and most of all, how to become ourselves as much as possible. In this episode, I talk with T. Callahan, a fellow writer who focuses on the intersection of people, planet, and place. I invited him to have a conversation because of something that he wrote about discipline that really got me thinking. And in this episode, we talk about that as well as our shared experience evolving and healing our relationships with alcohol, running, the question of fatherhood, beginnings and ends, safety and freedom, love, and how to get the you out of your life. Hey T, good morning. Great to see you here. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'd love to start out by asking you to give us a couple minutes on who you are and how you got here. Yeah, man, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate it. My day job for the last few years has been working at Patagonia um, in Chicago. I'm a visual merchandiser for the company and Kyle has been a surf ambassador for the company since he was a young big wave surfer. And I think that's how I stumbled upon him. And then I stumbled upon his podcast and some of his writing. Um, and I've just kind of always in a in a bit of a trippy way, I've always kind of felt like we were running in parallel tracks. Like there was just these subtle similarities and, you know, listening to him on his podcast, just being super you know, vulnerable and not trying to know everything and, and using writing as a tool to explore what he didn't know that just resonated with me when he ever posted not even a challenge, just an invite to kind of join him in taking a year off of drinking. Um, I had actually already been doing the same for probably about six months. And the idea of doing it with a community is what really excited me. The decision was made like instantaneously. I distinctly remember scrolling through Instagram and can't even remember what the image was, but I read Kyle's caption and it was kind of this like now or never. It was like, get on the train or the train's leaving the station. July 1, we're going to stop drinking. And again, I had already done it since October, but the idea of doing it with people and and seeing what that brought to the table. I don't know about you, but I've done a few dry spells in the past and I've always appreciated it, but I've always felt pretty on my own. Drinking never led me to AA or any sort of life crisis that that demanded a more, I guess, committed community. But the idea of doing this was just, uh, it was kind of exciting. And, you know, I mean, meeting people like you, Bowen, um, I think is exactly one of the reasons why yeah, man, the community is so powerful and important, and I'm really happy to be part of that group with you. And that is where you posted this thing about discipline that got me thinking so hard. So let's talk about that. So much of it has to do with our orientation to time. I routinely return to the idea that everything that has happened will happen and is happening. This is about simultaneity, everything that has happened and is happening and can happen and is happening. I think the linear experience of time, and that is truly a gift that we know that time doesn't actually operate that 
strictly and that we are here and experiencing reality in a linear fashion. And if that is true, which it very obviously seems to be, then then what's the point of that? And I believe that the point is that we get to interact then and make decisions that appear to determine how that linear time unfolds, despite knowing that theoretically it could unfold in in any infinite number of ways. The idea of discipline kind of hinges on that linear, that linear path that, you know, I, I have to choose to continue to do something. Just to reflect back what you're seem to be transmitting about time that this that the seeming linearity of time is one of the gifts of human consciousness that's what i hear you saying on that score very interesting yes and then this is leading us back to this comment that you made that that kind of brought us together which is about discipline um and you posted this idea you said i think discipline can get a bad rap if we're inclined to apply it just to the future Personally, I've found a lot of the value in recognizing discipline in hindsight. And I was like, what in the world? What, is that? what could that mean? Because I had been talking about running and you said, well, take my running example. You know, even a spontaneous run just once a week will begin to look disciplined after a year's time, looking back in hindsight. Right. You went on to say, it might help to think of everything we call discipline as rising from a seed that eventually grows habit. I thought that was really beautiful. And you got to this part of discipline that has always turned me off, which is the idea that it's something that we have to have enough of beforehand, right? Right. That it's like, well, do you have enough discipline to force yourself to, well, let's say, stop drinking or change your relationship with alcohol? Um, or, you know, start running or do anything else in life. Right. And for me, this has often seemed like, you know, a, a long hill to climb at the very least. Like, well, I don't I don't know if I have enough discipline, you know, to even right. start this kind of process or whatever it might be, this project. Whereas what you're proposing here is a redefinition of discipline as an accumulation of past experience as opposed to a matter of willpower that it's kind of like the sedimentary layers that build up over time. And then looking back, it's, we can say, Oh, well, that's, that's this, that's discipline. It's like the evidence builds up and shows us that we had discipline. You know, I started thinking about it a little bit more after you responded And I started asking myself, well, in order to be disciplined, do we have to be conscious of our actions in order for it to qualify as a disciplined action? And I would say yes, you know, which I think might sound a little contradictory to what I was previous previously saying, but only if we look at it in a strictly linear sense. And I think part of the hindsight point that I was trying to make is that like many other people who when confronting a decision have to ask themselves, am I disciplined enough right now to do X, Y, and Z for the next month, year, you know, however long. And 
that really can seem daunting and very challenging. And I think often at times people will just make that span of time so large that it can't possibly. Or just how can you foresee, you know, that far in advance? We can't. And that's not our job. You know, our job is just, okay, well, do you think you can make it until the next meal? And then when that decision arises again, can you make the same decision that you made yesterday? As long as we recalibrate our our view of discipline, mm-hmm. I think we can find more of it in our lives. And I think what it ultimately kind of comes down to, and this is something that I've invested or I'm, I'm continuing to try and invest in is patience, patience with myself, patience mm-hmm. with others mm-hmm. and I think discipline can sometimes discipline is made easier by having patience, like where we look for discipline, I think can kind of dictate how resilient we are with it. And I think looking into our past and seeing moments where almost unbeknownst to ourselves, we behaved in how we would define as a disciplined way, perhaps unconsciously. And so maybe it's unfair to call that discipline, but I do believe it's evidence of our capacity for discipline. And so recognizing that we can then choose to move forward consciously in a Mm -hmm. disciplined way. Mm -hmm. For example, Mm -hmm. you know, a dietary shift or now to me running. If I go more than three days without a run, it feels like something is missing that I don't know, three years ago, that would have never been the case. And so, okay, am I, you know, am I more disciplined or have I built a relationship with something? Mm -hmm. It touches on a a quote Mm -hmm. that I, that I heard from a rather unknown individual, but also on a podcast, um, a gentleman named Colin Hudon, who is a Chinese medicine scholar and runs a, um, a tea company out of Colorado. He said, discipline is only difficult until it becomes habit. There is an end of the line. Like eventually discipline will fade away. It's kind of like training wheels. Oh, I'm doing this myself. And it no longer feels like a challenge. And I think if you're always looking forward, you're not going to see that. And if you choose to look backwards occasionally, you know, not, you don't want to focus on it, but you can start to see, oh, that's right. I, you know, I may not have woken up at 6 a.m. every day to go for a run this past week, but I did run every day this week. And I think if we can routinely recalibrate, we can see that that discipline is actually infinite and that it's always there as long as we're willing to, you know, to to engage with it. Let me uh, reflect a bit on some of the things you've said. Part of the reason that I responded to your initial post about it because I've just always had this aversion to the word, even mm-hmm. it's the word, even the word discipline. Right. Um, Me too. Me too. And aside from my kind of cynical punk rock upbringing, you know, I I would also say that I think that part of our feeling that discipline, you know, is so important and powerful, it has to do with the sort of mind over body the mind body split, you know, and the idea that we can kind of will ourselves to do things 
and that that's one of the most important ways of living, that that's one of our human gifts is that we could will ourselves to do things, you know? Right. And I don't find that really all that interesting. You know what I mean? I mean, of course it is some, it is, it is one of our capacities. Um, but I, I think that part of this obsession with discipline as we kind of know it is, is born of that split. Well, and that's why I think it gets a bad rap because I think it often gets a bit of an authority, authority authoritarian sort of. Yeah. And if I can offer an alternative, I think it's actually more a reflection of our humility. We can be so sure of ourselves, you know, both in our success and our failures, like, oh, there's no way I could do blank, 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 blank. But discipline can kind of help take take yourself out of that decision making and you simply by repeating mm -hmm. an action mm -hmm. and eventually building a habit mm -hmm. can kind of mm -hmm. teach you, mm -hmm. oh, I'm I'm far more than the person I believed I was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's say a year from now, after Very you and I have gone for one full year of not drinking, mm -hmm. even if we were to choose to have a drink again after that, we can't help but also reflect back and say, yes, but I know I can go a whole year without doing this. Mm -hmm. So who am I? Am I a drinker? Am I somebody who doesn't drink? Am I somebody who has an occasional beer? Mm -hmm. All of those things can be true. And it really is up to us to, to live whichever story. And that's where I kind of come back to the writing thing. Mm -hmm. Like our lives... I can't remember who it was you were talking about, but it was one of the first conversations I heard where somebody said something about um, wanting their life to have many chapters. Living your life as a story being told really helped me kind of take a step back and realize that you don't have to be everything that you can be all at once because that there would be it would it would essentially be nothing you know i mean being getting to make these decisions and live life um in chapters mm -hmm. i think is what makes it interesting and exciting and i think discipline is just one tool that kind of allows us to explore that landscape discipline patience and humility can kind of all work together to help facilitate that well, it, it strikes me, yes, as a, a, a redefinition of this idea of discipline and took discipline to stop trying, um, which reminds me of uh, Edward Slingerland's book, Trying Not to Try. And he's writing about Wu Wei, right? About the, this Taoist concept of yep. learning not to try so damn hard, right? right? Learning not to try to force our way forwards, but to practice walking so as to find the way. Yes. You know, the, the word that I use the most is practice and that everything is a practice. Um, right. And, you know, just because that's what I've learned in my, in my own life and that um, what you said about chapters and, you know, living life is a book and a book with chapters. Well, part of that is that, you know, there are beginnings and endings in in a life of chapters um and you know i've written i wrote a piece recently about about endings about getting familiar with 
endings of certain things in life and uh, appreciating endings. Um, and I, I do see that or, you know, would agree that, um, you know, whether you would call it discipline or direction, right, is that's that's part of what's required to begin a new chapter. Right. Right. Um, and and also to end and also to end sometimes, you know, um, to decide to recognize that, hmm, you know, my energy for this particular sport or activity or pursuit or whatever it might be is, hmm, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not what it, what it once was. And perhaps I'm going to decide to just stop doing that, move on, end that chapter, make some space for something else um, in exactly the same way that we might decide to steer ourselves in a new direction so as to begin a new chapter. It's interesting that you bring up Wu Wei because, you know, a lot of Eastern philosophy, Buddhism in particular, has influenced how I think about a lot of this. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with a book, uh, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, mm -hmm. but it's a very simple, short book that just touches on, you know, some of the main tenets of, of Zen practice. And it talks about right effort mm -hmm. and I read that and I, I bristled with it in much the same way that you, you know, were mm. like, ooh, discipline, icky. Um, because right effort seems mm. to imply wrong effort. And mm. I I don't like that, you know, that binary. Um, but what actually right effort, when when I, I read the little bit about it, and this is where I think it connects with what you're saying, is they, they basically distill it down to like right practice, you know, mm. and that it's, Zen is a practice. And if you're if if you're doing it from a sense of achieving something that's incorrect, um, that's that is you're you're missing the you're missing the forest for the trees. And and so discipline, I think, is is similar in the association with discipline and freedom. When discipline does lead to habit, say me not having to think about fitting a run into my day, mm -hmm. I'm now free to live the rest of that day without the burden of, oh man, I've got to go for a run or, oh, I've got to find the time. Instead, it's just beautifully integrated into my day. And it's, it does bring with it this levity. Um, and I think freedom might be better understood as levity, just not a lot of weight on your shoulders, be that financial, personal, romantic, what have you. Um, and it's going to differ for everybody, but I think discipline is one way that we can engage with that, better attune ourselves to the places where we can find it. Freedom, that is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought in freedom. You know, I'd say a couple of things. The way I'm digesting your um, what you've brought to me about discipline, I really appreciate this. You, know, this, you brought me a new idea. It's it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. Is that what um, it's all about? <laughs> it is. You know, the, the discipline for me is about a change in direction. Mm -hmm. It's about steer choosing consciously to steer the ship on a different course. And yeah. you know, we if if you've ever steered a ship, um, <laughs> you know, that's. It's one motion 
It's one motion. You're going to change yep. the heading from 205 to 185. It takes about 10 seconds. And then you take the new course. And then all you have to do is just keep that heading. And so this whole idea of having to have enough discipline and like that it's this big struggle over time. I think that does have a lot to do with the kind of authoritarian worldview. And that again, I mean, just for me, what's most interesting is to think about it as a conscious change in direction. Um, you know, I do want to bring it back to alcohol for a minute too, because that was a huge part of my experience, you know, previously, you know, as someone who drank from the time I was 10 until I was almost 48. Um, and then wow. did make a conscious choice to change my direction. And, you know, at that point, it really was that simple. It, it took about a minute or, or less, you know, it just occurred to me like, hmm, what if I just decided to do this differently? Right. Um, and that it was not a matter of, you know, an ongoing struggle with willpower. Right. Uh, not at all. It was the result of a realization about how I wanted to live and that 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 out drinking alcohol just didn't really fit very well anymore with who I was and who I wanted to be. Yep. And once it's that simple, once that sank in for me, you know, which was again, took like hmm, 38 years, you could say, um, you know, it took a damn long time. Uh, but once that really did sink in, um, it you know there, it was not a matter of willpower. Um, it was a matter of occasionally revisiting the the things that I knew to be true about my present self and about where the direction that I wanted to be going in, right? right. Um, and uh, you know the truths I knew to be true that is about you know how alcohol made me feel in the present, how it made me feel, how it was going to make me feel the next day, how it was affecting me over time, how it was contributing to depression, all these things. And that brings me back to, to freedom, which you just brought in as well. We often think that freedom is the freedom to choose at any moment. And this certainly comes in with alcohol or with many other things, with exercise, you know, you name it, right? If I have the freedom to choose at any given moment, Right. Like maybe right now it's 9:39 a.m. here on the West Coast. You know, fuck it. You know, I want to have a beer. I'm free. Yeah. Right. 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 It's like, OK, well, that's a type of freedom. But there's a greater freedom in not having to choose, which is what you just right. brought in about running this greater freedom of having the levity, the, you know, not even having it occur to me. Right. Not even having it occur to me. And, and that makes space, of course, amongst many other things, you know, it, it, it makes space for other things to come in, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so there's this smaller freedom of the freedom to choose at any moment. And there's the greater freedom of not even having to choose. Right. If I can add to that, one of the things that came up in a number of the conversations I've heard you had before was, um, you know, along with the word freedom often comes safety. And I know you have a, uh, an interesting perspective on that. And when I was listening to some of your conversations, 
the somewhat of a semantic structure was I think how we usually look at safety and freedom where we're safe from things and we're free to do things. And I think it can be useful to flip that and look at it in the inverse and that what we're looking for. And I think, you know, a safe space, like I know that word has kind of come up in other conversations that you've had. And I would agree with you. I think it's, I think it can be detrimental when we look at it as safe from, but if we look at it more as safe to safe to explore, you're safe to live the fullest expression of yourself. That I think is the, the value of a safe space and that we're free from judgment or we're free from the pressures to do X, Y, and Z rather than free to do whatever you want. The way that freedom is sold to us can often be, you know, in actuality, it binds us in ways that we're not even aware. And so safety, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think safety can be a useful counterweight, but I do think it's important to, to be clear what we mean by it. But I think that that is, that is the ultimate value of safety is to, to feel like, oh, I can, you know, I can take this risk to, to see what's on the other side. And, you know, I think not drinking, for example, can appear very, you know, very safe. Like, oh yeah, I'm not going to get in a, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hit anybody driving my car because I'm not, you know, I'm not drunk driving. So yeah, I am more safe, but there's definitely some like, you know, potentially uncomfortable situations that arise that, you know, I may feel far safer with a drink in my hand, um, you know, and so to, 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 to have too narrow of a perspective, I think on freedom um, and conversely safety can, 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 you know, impact how uh, impact our relationship with both of those things in a way that that doesn't really serve anybody let alone you know most importantly ourselves mm-hmm. well i love your redefinition of safe from and free to to safe to and free from right that's just a, a great recasting i really appreciate that and uh yeah i mean safety can be very fragile I think it gets associated with fragility, but if anything, it's, 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 it's not like you keep talking about practice. And so it's like, take sports, right? Like you go to practice in order to practice dangerous things safely so that you are then better prepared to deal with them when they actually arise in reality in not practice, you know? And so safety there is kind of allowing you to go further to recognize that you're safe and then to take risk is the ultimate freedom. Um, and I think discipline to try and bring it a little bit back kind of is like that handrail that allows you to kind of keep walking further and further out into territory that might not appear safe from where you're, you know, from your vantage point right now. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I can, you know, when I, when I stopped drinking, it was, for me, it was, it was early October and a couple weeks, I knew in a couple weeks, my, uh, my brother-in-law was getting married and I was going to be at his wedding. 
And if I made the decision that night to stop drinking, I knew in two weeks I was going to be tested in a very obvious social situation where the whim that I was on was really going to come under some scrutiny. And then it dawned on me the day of his wedding. I was like, yeah, but in eight hours, this wedding is going to be over. And what's more worth it to me? The safety of, you know, that eight hours of having a drink in my hand and, and no one asking me why I didn't. Or I could wait. I could not drink for eight hours. And then on the other side of that, I would then have amassed not just that eight hours, but all of the time prior to it as well. Yes. And still having not had a drink. And it was like, oh, yeah, that that seems like a that seems well worth it. Right. So I will I will gladly mm-hmm. cash in those eight hours of safety to to get back. You know, it was like, give me a 10 and I'll give you a 20 back. OK, yeah, I'll, I'll take that all day. You know, again, it's reframing. It strikes me that there's a there's kind of a small freedom and a larger freedom. There's a small safety and a larger safety, you know, yes. Yeah, there's a small, fragile, static safety, and there's a much larger, elastic, growing safety. We don't get safe by doing safe things. Right. We got to keep pushing the the safety valence further out. And hopefully, you know, hopefully at the end of my life, I will feel safe in far more situations than I would have earlier on. One question I know that you've kind of circled around is the idea of parenthood and children. And I think that 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 that's kind of the whole point is, you know, if that's something that you choose to do. And I don't think you have to be a parent to provide that for, you know, people. It's not even the next generation. But I do think like that parent child relationship is one of hopefully creating the space for them to to kind of you know, to fail and to succeed and to kind of hopefully before they're before before an individual's out on on their own to feel like they've they've done that to some degree already and that you've given them the means with which to determine can I take this risk? Do I feel do I have confidence in myself, you know, to see it through or to deal with whatever may lie on the other side and well, let, let me make it a little more personal. I wrote a piece recently about my own experience over the course of my life uh, not becoming a father. Right. Uh, for me, a lot of that, yes, has had to do with this question of safety, I suppose, or, and freedom and fear. Certainly a big part of it is not having been willing to sacrifice my own freedom as I saw it. Right. Not being willing to sacrifice my own freedom um, to to become a father, uh, to start, you know, to have a family. Um, and yet, of course, that's also a great sacrifice in itself. Uh, both are true. You know, I also wrote about decision points along the way, you know, when t- different times I've been faced with this decision and how as men, we go about making that decision. And I've, I've been very interested in talking with other men about this, about this this question of fatherhood and how are we conscious about it? How does that come into your life? And so I'm just, I'm interested to, to ask you where you're at with that as a man. And what, you know, how, how old are you T? I'm 33. 33. So are are you a father? I'm not a father. Um, I expect to be at some point in the near future. 
Um, my wife and I don't have any definitive plans, but we both talk about it regularly and, and are excited at the idea of, of, of raising one or two kids. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think I, I don't, I by no means believe that we're obligated to be a parent. Um, if anything, I think it's in a weird way, almost the easier choice, um, just because of the societal norms. I certainly think the decision that you made is, you know, it's much like choosing to not drink. Um, you know, it's, it's not the status quo. And so I think it does tend to, I, I think a lot of decisions like that tend to be uncomfortable for people because it makes them realize like, oh, I had the same, I got to make the same decision and I didn't even realize I was making it. And I think that can, you know, rub people the wrong way. Um, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's for us to worry about. Part of what helped me digest that is just the statistical truth that only 60% of men and women, in fact, the number is really just about identical for men and women, that only 60% of men become fathers and only about 60% of American women become mothers. And mm-hmm. man, when I learned that and read the U.S. Census report from which that data right. comes directly, you know, I was just kind of stunned by the, the, the reality of the numbers. You know, I would have thought the right. percentage is much less, especially just from the, yeah, the, the popular perception that, you know, like, well, most, well, most guys are dads. And, you know, if you're in any group in like men's groups, you know, there's always support for men as fathers. You know, there's always right. conversation about, well, let's talk about fatherhood and there's no conversation about men who are not fathers or don't have children. And, you know, and yet it's like 60, 40, you know, that's right. It's almost half, <laughs> you know, right. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have guessed that it was that, that close. Yeah. So partly I just want to bring more light to that. I look at it as building relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think, you know, the decision to be a father or to not be a father, both present the opportunity to build and to create meaningful relationship within community. I don't get the feeling that my parents made the decision to have kids in the exact, in in the same way that my wife and I are, are, are considering it. You know, my mom, I would always joke like, Oh, if I could have had puppies, I would have, but we had kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was cute and adorable growing up, like, you know, hearing that anecdote. But sometimes I do wonder, like, would my parents have been happier had they chosen to live a different life? It's really only within the last couple generations, I would say, where the idea of a dad loving their children has even mm-hmm. become, you know, mm-hmm. part of the common discourse. You know, mm-hmm. it's like there was no obligation really to love your offspring in you know, not to say that it didn't exist. I'm I'm sure there were many loving fathers, but they may have perhaps been anomalies or at least it wasn't celebrated in the way that we, you know, mm-hmm. look to see it now. Um, and I think that's honestly what excites me. You know, I mean, I think I want to have mm-hmm. kids that's because I, I, I feel so fortunate to, to not be afraid of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, that if if I feel that way now, it's a you know, 
I don't want to sound, you know, self-righteous, but it's a bit of a selfless act to, to, to share that with, with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that's, if that's not what we're all trying to do, then I don't, I don't really know. I don't know what the point is of, of all of this. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I'm, I'm excited by that challenge. And I think there's, you know, again, I think a common thread throughout all of this is how do we, how do we remove ourself or our, our experience as a self from what we call life and living, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think having children is one way. It's not the only mm-hmm. way, but it's arguably the most significant way that you can really, you know, you talk about setting a new heading in your life. I mean, so many people have said like, Oh, the minute my child was born, you know, my Everything life changed. changed. And, yeah. And, you know, that may very well be true. Hope, but I hope that maybe I've experienced enough change and, and redirection prior to becoming a father that that, that isn't the, for my first experience with it. Mm. I'm kind of surprised it hasn't come up yet. But a lot of this to me, you know, as so many things do, kind of comes back to the psychedelic experience. I'm not sure if if you have much experience there, but you know, the phrase that I always come back to is it teaches you a comfort with ambiguity. Parenthood and, and whatnot is a, is a great example of the ambiguity of, of, um, you know, so much of what, we're, what we experience day to day and to be able to share that with another individual and to, but, but to see yourself in them and then to realize that like, I can't possibly only be this, um, I think is empowering. Um, but I think, you know, again, the, the choice to not do that can offer us an opportunity to kind of withdraw from so many people reinforce their identity through their kids. And I think that really is a disservice. Thanks for diving into this, this topic of fatherhood and not fatherhood. Either way, it's about relationship and connection, um, and that both choices or both directions, you know, can offer offer just as much, really, and in you know, in different ways. Um, that's that's a a beautiful frame there. I really appreciate that, and I I certainly would say that that's true from my own experience. While I'm conscious of you know not having the experience of being a father, I'm conscious of having many other relating and connecting experiences that I wouldn't have if I was. And I know that the opposite is, of course, often true. I also love the point you made about, you know, becoming a parent is a great way to get the you out of your life um, and to take the focus off of oneself. And I think that is true at so many levels, you know, from the basic biological truth to the deepest psychic nature of becoming a parent. Um, and that it, it's true. And I've said this, you know, in my writing that I've, I'm conscious of having made a selfish choice in a way. Um, and I don't mean that in a, you know, with any sort of connotation, you know, but it, 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 it has been a choice to focus more on myself in some ways. And, and then on what grows from that path and in that direction. 
two questions that I wanted to ask you in as we get towards closing. You know, one is is about fatherhood. Is you know, is as you let's say formed your relationship with the woman that now you're married to, you know, was were you conscious of a you know, desire or decision to become a father at some point? And did that factor into the formation of your relationship? Honestly, I think the um, the relationship felt so right because I didn't feel that pressure. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I truly felt, you know, it was like, you know, Schrodinger's cat, the cat is both dead and alive until you open the box. It was yeah. like Schrodinger's kids, like until we opened the box, like I could have, I truly could have seen my life with Laura without children and just exploring life together to the, you know, also to the fullest. And, and I, I, I like, there are some people who, you know, having kids and not having kids is the deal breaker. Um, and that just never really entered into the equation between mm-hmm. her and myself. It was, they're just that pressure wasn't there from the beginning. And we kind of came around to it as as a as a team. Um, again, we were we're still on the uh, on the periphery. But the idea of like when we were to when when to do that, you know, mm-hmm. as far as building a family goes is is becoming more of a regular conversation. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, I think true love or what, you know, again, to bring it back to safety, like mm-hmm. when you feel loved, mm-hmm. you know, there's theoretically no, nothing that can, you know, true unconditional love grants you the, per, or it, it creates this permissive environment to just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've, I, I said this to Laura when, you know, when, mm-hmm. when I read my vows, like I've just never felt like I had to be anybody but myself mm-hmm. and that I don't even have to know who I am. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, that's true. That's true freedom to not know right and to be free to not know that to me is true love you know i mean that is unconditional love and i have felt that very fortunately throughout most of my life whether from my parents um as trying as their relationship proved to be i just so genuinely believed that they loved me Mm. and you know despite their faults and the same is true of my relationship with laura and so having you know the the gratitude of of mm-hmm. feeling that i i welcome the opportunity to mm-hmm. to hopefully return that favor mm-hmm. and you know to give a child the freedom to fail is just in my mind one of the most selfless acts you can give anybody mm-hmm. um and so that's that's what excites me about the idea of being a father got one final question for you, but I also want to make sure that uh, people know, you know, how to reach you if they want to get in touch with you somehow. You're a writer. I'd love to, you know, how do people find your writing out there on the internet, T? Um, I have a personal website and blog. It's just thelandoft.com, but I post on there and then the land of T is just my handle pretty much everywhere on the internet, um, including Medium, where I also post a lot of my blogs. So um, just trying to get more exposure out there. I post every Monday. Uh, one will be going up later today, um, a blog series that I call For the Planet. Um, and it's a nature blog that I write every week. It's 500 words minimum. 
never more than a thousand. So real quick read. Thanks. Well then just final question. You brought in love and we've talked a bit about our experience as men. Um, and this is a question that I've been thinking about a lot lately and asking mm-hmm. other men. And it is, are there ways that you've experienced that men love that are different or particular to men, to your experience as a man, to your experience, to your experience perhaps with your father, with other men, with friends of yours, you know, with uh, with guys that you're close to? Is there anything that that, yeah, that comes to the surface for you in terms of the experience of the love of men. The thing that I always come back to uh, is that I think I think we're men or perhaps more accurately, people that are just more masculine is the idea of receiving um, in general. And I think that applies to love. I think men traditionally or the masculine energy is traditionally the giver or provider or the one, see, you know, going out like in a traditional hunter gatherer, um, you know, they were, they were the ones going out and seeking food and hunting and, and, and women were the, or the feminine was this maternal nurturing and, and receptive vessel, if you will. And I think the masculine energy closes us off from receiving love and, the more we can open that and feel that it's honest, that the love that we're receiving is authentic, is probably the best way that we can learn to give authentic love. Um, I think we can often doubt that somebody believes that we love them. Um, and I think that stems from a, a lack of, um, you know, an inability to believe that we are loved ourselves. Like I can feel love for many of my guy friends, but it's still a challenge to communicate it for Mm -hmm. sure. I think Mm -hmm. communication is probably where it, where it suffers the most. Mm -hmm. Um, I think traditionally men have probably shown love more through action Mm -hmm. than through verbal communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I think we're, we're getting better, hopefully at, at, at doing that, um, especially between, you know, between each other, again, kind of just getting out of our own way and, 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 and allowing ourselves to, to receive what is being given to us, I think will hopefully empower us to, uh, to mm-hmm. feel that we're honestly capable of, of, of returning that ultimately it comes down to vulnerability, you know? I mean, I know I said humility and I'm just surprised that vulnerability hasn't mm-hmm. come up yet, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, to, to, to bring it full circle to discipline is that like, if you feel safe and free to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. that creates an environment in which you can take the risk of trying to be disciplined at something and not, and, and not worrying that it might not work out, you know, like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe I won't become a lifelong runner, but at least I'll take, take the six months to try my hand at developing that discipline. And I think love is arguably the most important facet that creates that space for us to do that. This might be 
um, you know, the optimist in me. But I always joke, like when I meet somebody, like you have to show me why I don't love you. Everybody is beautiful in, in some capacity, you know, and I, I mentioned this at the very beginning, like I, I, my day job is the non-glamorous side of retail. I work in a store and, but I, but one of the things that I love about it is I meet strangers regularly. And I actually heard one of your past guests talk about this tingly feeling that they got in some of their men's groups. I got to tell you, like, even in the innocuous relationship of helping somebody choose the right rain jacket, <laughs> when that, when that connection is made in a truly like honest and authentic way, mm -hmm. I've, I have truly felt my body just start to tingle as that person's walking away. We didn't do anything of like substantive value, but we related to each other in a very beautiful and honest way that just, again, it kind of is just like, you just feel a little bit larger than just you. And you know, that's, that is what love to me is, is the bridge that kind of can unite these seemingly separate selves that we all inhabit. And to, to do that and to do so, so intentionally with a child is admittedly argue, like the most, un one of the most unique ways um, to do that. And I would honestly say that the more unique way is the relationship with somebody who you're not, you know, you, you chose to be together. You chose to, to separate, you know, I mean, it's not about all or nothing. You know, there are many beautiful cases of people that came together for five, you know, five, 10 years or, or even less. And, and that, you know, that value was, was still there and still very real. I know for a fact that I have not felt the fullest extent of it. And so I will gladly continue living in search of, uh, of experiencing it in, in, in its fullest way, wherever possible, whether that includes children or through writing and connecting with people through your words, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of opportunities and, you know, I think the, the real goal is just not to close ourselves off from whatever opportunities each of us has. Well, well, that, brings me right to this thought that's been with me these last three or four minutes here. You know, a lot of ways what we've been talking about in different ways is, is love as a container for freedom um, or as the foundation mm -hmm. for freedom. Yeah. Um, and so thanks so much for bringing that to me today, along with so much else T it's been great to talk with sure. you, man. Thanks for taking me Mutual. up on my invitation and, uh, I very much enjoyed it. Yeah. For being part of this journey together. I love you, Bowen. And I love you T. Thank you. All right. That was great. I really appreciate T's reframing of discipline. I'm still digesting exactly what that all means to me, but it's already helped me to get a bit friendlier with the idea of setting a course and sticking to it. I also love his suggestion to reverse safe from and freedom to to safe to and freedom from, as well as his deeply moving experience with and pursuit of the fullest possible expression of love. Thanks again to T. Callahan for joining me today. And remember, you can find him at thelandoft.com and on Twitter and other social media at thelandoft. 
Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do share it with a friend and make sure you're subscribed at decidenothing.substack.com where all of my writing and audio lives. And most of all, if this brought something up for you, if you felt something, if you have a reaction, if you have some thoughts or suggestions about topics you'd like to see me explore in the future, please do leave a comment there on the Substack site. And of course, you can also reach me by email or on social media. Thanks again for being here, and I hope you tune in again soon.